to another episode of Public Problems. I am once again with a few members of the Bush School of Public Service, of Government and Public Service. I guess it's bad if I forget the name in the introduction, huh? Um, so today I have a few students with me, and we're going to talk about the Pacific Garbage Patch. They did a report this semester uh, getting to the nitty-gritty details of this uh, policy challenge. But before we get started, I'm going to let the group members introduce each of themselves. So if you would take a moment and tell us uh, who you are, that would be great. Yeah, hello, I'm Yvonne Wong. My name is Colton Haffey. Kiefer Patterson. I'm Katie Leach. And I'm Mahin Zahid. Um, so I'd like to start by just defining what this problem is. Um, you title your report Pacific Garbage Patch. And so tell us what the Pacific Garbage Patch is for people who don't know, and then let's talk about why it's such a such a public problem. Yeah, so this is an issue. It basically is dealing with oceanic plastic pollution. Um, it is the Pacific Ocean Garbage Patch is one of five um, centralized locations for the accumulation of plastic in the ocean. Um, it is estimated to be 1.6 million square kilometers, which is basically twice the size of Texas. Um, it's located in between Hawaii and California. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about, so there's, you said there's five of these. Does that have to do with uh, the patterns of the oceans? Why is it that all of this trash is gathering or this garbage is gathering in one place? Yeah, so this is because of the large circulatory ocean currents called Gyres. Gyres. <laughs> and, okay. um, yes, it's a very hard word to bring out. And so that basically, it, it does have to do with ocean currents. And so it once the trash gets to these gyres, it um, basically becomes stagnant and gets trapped there. Um, and there's one basically in each ocean. Um, and yeah, the Pacific um, garbage patch just happens to be one of the biggest ones. And is it, uh, do you, did y'all look into how it compares? You said it's one of the biggest. Are there, are there others that are bigger or is this twice the size of Texas patch the, the biggest? Uh, this one is by far the biggest. Um, it's the largest, uh, gyre in itself. So it has the biggest space for the most amount of trash. And that's, um, also a huge shipping canal. And that's where we've seen that most of the trash in the ocean collects. Got it. So, um, oh yeah, and then the report here you have a nice picture of all where all five of them are located, and this one clearly has the most space. Um, so that's great. Um, now, tell me a little bit, if you would, about how you decided to go about addressing uh, addressing this. Yeah, so we went about addressing this with just researching, I guess, what was in the patch, how mm -hmm. much plastic, um, what kind of plastic, the size of the plastic. Um, and then we looked into efforts, um, just like the history of the plastic um, production. We looked into um, stakeholders, just who is affected by this, what are the implications of this. Um, and then we also really dove into just any existing efforts that already are you know, being used to address this. Most of it isn't addressing um, it's specifically, but maybe recycling as a whole, um, which is a huge contributing factor. And then there are some nonprofits that are addressing this issue specifically, and we um, highlighted their efforts. And then we also came to, after our research, we came to some conclusions and proposed our own recommendations on just 
how we think that um, the efforts could be just made better and just some more holistic and comprehensive things that we could implement. Excellent. Well, if it's okay with the group, why don't we march through each of those uh, sections that you had? So let's start with the history. Uh, and I imagine this has a this is intimately tied with with plastics and uh, kind of modern development as well as we're creating more and more uh, trash. So, so tell me about that. Um, so since the inception of humankind or mankind, there's always been a connection of humans with the ocean, with the water and everything. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we've always been creating problems with uh, uh, which relate to the ocean. And these include, you know, pollution, fisheries, eutrophication, uh, eutrophication and, uh, you know, ocean acidification. They may be very unintentional, but they've always been there. Um, and in the recent years, these issues have always come up because of these um, environmental protection societies and uh, research and different researches that that be, have been con conducted in the recent years uh, but one of these issues hasn't come up and this is specific uh, th this exact issue and even i didn't know about it before we started off this um, project so people don't know don't really know about it the reason for the existence of this garbage patch is plastic. Um, plastic has many characteristics, various characteristics. It's cheap, it's durable, it's strong, it's easy to use. And because of these characteristics, it's, it has entered all aspects of our lives. Um, but unfortunately, of course, with the overuse of plastic, there comes negative aspects of it as well. And this is one of them. Uh, uh, according to research, 10% of all plastic debris, it ends up in water. And because 23% of the human population lives next to the ocean, next to the water, it negative. you can see how negatively it affects us. And not just us, but the marine life as well. And of course, if the water reaches, uh, it has reached, uh, obviously, but even, even if it goes beyond this level of toxic, uh, toxicity, life will become impossible. Um, I'll just repeat what Katie said. Um, uh, these gyres, they're basically circular ocean current, currents which are formed by global wind patterns and uh, they're created by Earth's rotation as well. So they're right in the middle of the ocean and because ocean water is not very, it doesn't move a lot, it does not circulate a lot and it's it, it's a lot more stagnant, it's relatively stable. This is, it, it's why these garbage, this garbage patch has collected right in the middle of the ocean and um, this is why it's, it's become possible and this is why we're researching on it and um, this is why it has made life difficult both for the marine part of the uh, life and uh, the humankind as well. So do we, do we know um, where this trash is coming from? I mean, given the currents, the ocean currents and where uh, this gyre is, it, you know, it, on a map, it's, uh, I believe, uh, you know, in between California and Hawaii is what it says in your report, but Western U.S., West Coast U.S., and Far East uh, Asia. So does that where most of this trash is coming from, or do we have any good data on where the bulk of this uh, these plastics and trash are coming from? Yeah, um, according to the workbench data set, uh, we find the um, uh, average, uh, average amount of garbage produced by per person in a year is 
two, six, four, eight towns uh, around the world. But in the United, uh, but in the North America, people has the highest average of garbage pr produced per year person at the point six, point uh, seven nine nine six tons. So, um, and followed by the Europe and Central Asia. So the most garbage origin may be the maybe from the North America, and the fewest. Uh, it's from the um, South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. So uh, the many resource of this um, garbage may be from the North America. And this is where we found uh, a little bit of a contradiction in some of the research that was done. Um, given the high amounts of garbage produced by North Americans, um, and one of the scientific reports that we looked into a lot for this, um, that report found a lot of the trash they claimed to be from Japan and China. And they based that off of the plastics that they found and any lettering that they could have found on the plastic. And based off of wind patterns and water currents that they believed that those plastics came from Japan or China. And one of the issues with that claim is that um, a lot of American imports come from Japan and China, especially in plastics and materials like that. So just because they could have been produced in that area doesn't mean that's where they entered the water. Uh, so that's kind of a big problem with a lot of the research that's done, is finding um, where things are actually entering the ecosystem is really difficult to pinpoint. So to recap, just so I'm uh, on the same page, it sounds like we have decent data, and I believe your report says it's from the World Bank uh, in your figure one in your report, that shows how much overall garbage is produced per person in a year with North America uh, leading the pack at almost 0.8 tons, and then Europe and Central Asia being the closest per person in a year at around 0.42, 0.43. And so we, we have some decent measures of how much garbage people are producing, but it's less certain which garbage actually ends up in the Pacific garbage patch. And some things suggest that at least some of the, the plastics are from China and Japan, but it's not really clear where it uh, like where it originated as actual garbage, just maybe where it originally was made. Is that kind of your understanding from your research? Yes, absolutely. Cool. So, okay, let's keep on trucking. Um, we're, who, I guess, who are all of the different stakeholders? And one of the things you mentioned was talking about different stakeholders. And I can imagine that um, clearly uh, the, the the ecosystem, and by the ecosystem, I guess, in large part, I'm thinking about the marine life is probably one group that really suffers from this. But what what other groups or um, yeah, whatever what other groups are affected by this or play a role in this? Yeah, so um, stakeholders consist of uh, quite a few different uh, uh, entities. Uh, humans, first and foremost. Um, so through consumption of other animals like fish and other things. One of the things that uh, the garbage patch, patch and all this plastic uh, create is something called microplastics. And these plastics produce uh, these chemicals uh, come from these plastics. And basically what they do is these fish are, um, they're basically interact, they, they come into contact with these chemicals, these plastics and everything, and they get digested and they get into their system. And then we as humans then go and eat those fish. So, it kind of creates a circulatory system in our ecosystem to where we end up actually consuming some of this plastic. Uh, and uh, so that's, so that's just a humans, um, the economy. So there's, uh, 
through the garbage patch, uh, through a lot of this trash and uh, garbage that happens, um, there's a loss in tourism, you know, like to say beaches and stuff, because the beaches are uh, riddled with uh, trash and it's not a very nice place for people to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's a loss of money right there for like, you know, certain cities or locations that, you know, perhaps maybe rely on that kind of income. Another thing is beach cleanups that can get very, very costly um, for governments to uh, partake. Um, another one is the ecosystem, as you were saying. Uh, ecosystem, uh, a lot. There are a lot of fish, and there are a lot of like you know other animals, sea turtles and whatnot, that are actually dying from uh, ingestion of this plastic. I mean, there's wells. Like you can literally, uh, there will be wells that wash up on beaches, and they open up their stomachs, and it's like loaded with plastic. Mm-hmm. So. There's a lot of uh, one of the things about the ecosystem is that in order to have a sustainable ecosystem is these all these animals kind of rely on each other as a checks and balances. So you know if you're having one species get eliminated due to plastic, it can have a cascading effect on all other life and kind of throw off the balance of uh, of the life. Um, one of the other things is businesses. Uh, like like I was saying earlier, uh, loss of fishing, loss of other resources. Uh, that come along with, you know, maybe not have it or displacing certain animals that maybe fishing companies are having to spend more money and more time going out locating certain, uh, you know, type of fish that they're looking for or other things. Uh, but another thing is also it, uh, plastic and all this other uh, debris in the ocean, marine debris, uh, can cause a lot, some damage to vessels, which can also cost, uh, you know, producers more money than going into consumers and having to pay that, pay for that cost. Uh, and then governments, uh, governments have a, a stake in this. Uh, they have to create policies that you know are able to effectively address these issues. They have to create uh, conservation policies that are able to say, "Hey, uh, let's look at uh, President Obama uh, during his uh, uh, time in the presidency. He got rid of, uh, I think it was microbeads, and that was something that he uh, created a policy to get like to try to move that away from our uh, society." And it was very effective in our society, but there's still a lot of room for growth in policy making as far as really implementing um, things that are going to make a big impact on how we utilize plastic by today's standards. Um, NGOs, uh, currently NGOs are a leader in volunteering like as far as coordinating beach cleanups. Um, they go out there, they'll clean up and they'll, you know, it. It is, they do a really good job of doing that, but they also provide a lot of a lot of opportunity for research. Uh, that a lot of uh, a lot of research that we have uh, we pull from various reports, you know, has come from nonprofit organizations. So they have a big stake in things, and they have really like kind of propelled us as far as knowing what a lot of the current situations are. And then uh, last but not least is education. Uh, I'm very big fan of education as I think it's one of the most important things of it, uh, of fixing any kind of public issues because it, education kind of creates awareness and through outreach, outreach programs and, uh, other kinds of things, uh, education is able to like, uh, is able to basically bring people, uh, or give people more of a know of what is happening right now and what can be done. And then again, education also partakes in research as well. Um, so those are the various stakeholders that I was that we were looking at as a group. Before we move on, one of the things that strikes me about this uh, uh, Pacific Garbage Patch reminds me a little bit of 
when we think about other issues that affect more than one country. And so every country has an incentive to not do anything about it, right? And so this is the, the example we see with climate change, for example. Um, every If all countries work together the, to change their uh, the way in which they consume and produce energy, then the whole world would benefit. But because each country has its own incentives to not deal with the problem on their own, a lot doesn't get done. And it seems to me that uh, the ocean is an example of this. I mean, it actually, when you look at the tragedy of the commons examples, fishing is often the example that's used for why we need uh, uh, regulation um, when we're dealing with um, dealing with natural resources uh, that are limited, uh, but that everyone has an incentive to produce to to take more of. And so this garbage patch seems like a really interesting example of each country has its own incentives to produce and raise its GDP and uh, and plastics is a cheap uh, material for doing that. But then the, the actual oceans where no persons are living are actually bearing a lot of the costs of these. And so it's, it's uh, not surprising to me that NGOs and nonprofits are kind of leading uh, and the education community are leading some of the efforts in this area because while it does have consequences for each country, no one country can really solve it. And each country has its own uh, incentives to not raise the cost of production and abandon plastics. Um, and so I think this is a really interesting example of needing to use NGOs and international collaboration to address this because without that coordination, it seems like everyone's going to have that free free rider uh, incentive. Um, so what is actually being done right now to, uh, to, to deal with these garbage patches? Yeah, um, we select three countries um, who has the uh, highest recycling rates. Um, they are Germany, Taiwan, and Wales. So um, the first, we talk about the Germany. The Germany government promotes the deposit refund policy, garbage bag fee, and dry recycling. Yeah, the, uh, this mechanism is uh, many use the market mechanism to uh, reduce the amount of uh, garbage produced. So the first, the garbage refund system used the tax subsidies and deposit fees to decrease this amount. The government taxes the producers of bottles and decrease the consumption of plastics. And sub subsidies can encourage farms to produce more environmentally friendly products and encourage stores to recycle uh, solid waste. Deposit fees requires people to pay a tax when they throw in the garbage. And, uh, and their government requires people to purchase the garbage bags if they want to throw out the trash. In order to save more money, people will choose to recycling waste and decrease the garbage they produced. And the second country is my home country, Taiwan. Um, Taiwan uh, also used the market incentive tools to uh, to be a main, main recycling policy. Um, they used the garbage fees, plastic bag using restrictions, recycling program, and the recycling manufacturers contribute to the, the higher recycling rates in Taiwan. So in Taipei, our capital of Taiwan, um, citizens are required to use official garbage bags to throw out their trash. Government also limit, limits the use of um, plastic bags in various types of business. Um, people, um, if, if they want to purchase a good at a store or a market, they have to pay additional fee, additional fee if they want to um, 
bag uh, bag their goods. So um, in Taipei, the government also sets four four thousand pickup spots per week and introduced auto recycling machines. Uh, these machines can um, it's convenient for people to recycling their waste and can exchange some money back. Okay, so uh, in Taiwan. Uh, there are many recycling businesses to re reproduce products from the garbage and earn tremendous profits. And the uh, um, third country is Wales. Uh, Wales. Uh, government also emphasizes separate collection. Um, local authorities require people to recycle the trash by categories. So they uh, use dry recycling reduce the amount of waste by 6.6 kilograms per capita. So um, generally, um, the lesson we uh, we learn from these countries um, is the um, mark uh, is the importance of viewing garbage as a resource instead of waste. Mm -hmm. So uh, when the resources are put in wrong place, the treasure will become the garbage. So the garbage problem is the market failure and need government to uh, interfere. So government can create a market incentive to solve the externality and regulate the trash they produced. When this market is formulated, the commercial entities enter and they can collect a tremendous amount of garbage. So use these methods, the um, speed of producing waste would be slowed down. So these are different strategies that uh, a number of countries have used to, I guess, limit the amount of trash or limit the amount of waste going out of their country, right, by improving recycling efforts. And the ways in which these are done are, are through a variety of mechanisms that include uh, financial ones, right, like fees and refunds for things. And then others are set regulatory kind of processes that require citizens to behave in certain in certain ways, like putting their recycling in a certain bag or things like that. So there's there are two kind of main strategies that these countries have used, which is regulatory kind of um, heavy hand. You know, you're required to do things this way, and then the other is through some financial incentives. Is that is that fair? Yeah. So what have countries or what are the efforts and actually so this is kind of stemming the amount of trash and garbage going into the ocean. But are there any efforts to actually clean up the trash that's already there? Yeah. So some of this is actually a, um, an effort led by a nonprofit organization, like we discussed before. And so um, the biggest effort on um, cleaning up the existing traffic um, trash that is in the oceans that we found is um, a nonprofit organization called the Ocean Cleanup. And so basically this um, nonprofit raised a ton of money and got um, famous through like TED Talks and things like that because they proposed this huge idea of kind of like a big floaty system. And so they um, conducted a ton of research about what was in the patch so they could perfect this um, floaty. <laughs> and um, basically they came out to making like a 600 meter long floating device and it has a tapered skirt which would um, allow it to scoop up the plastic. And so basically um, it doesn't run by, um, you know, like fossil fuels or anything like that. It, it just uses the current ocean, um, the current oceans, like currents in there. And so they just like, it 
basically it's called a passive system. And so it in, in turn is like supposed to pay for itself. And so I guess that was one of the big pushes for it. But as far as this goes, the really cool thing is they've actually just like launched it, right? Like oh, as of cool. October 16th of 2018. And so it's past its um, testing phase phase and they're, they, they, just, they just launched their first one. And so we haven't seen the widespread effects of it yet, but they have um, made some projections as to what it could be. And um, so basically these projections are based off of um, when they make this full scale. So that would be 60 of these floating systems. They said that half of the patches garbage could be cleaned up in five years, which is really just like incredible in five years. Um, they project that if they get all of these 60 floating systems out, that, you know, half of the trash should be cleaned up um, in the Pacific Ocean garbage patch. But um, when they say that they would scale it to all the other oceans, they said that they could remove the plastic, um, remove 90% of the plastic by 2040, which would be absolutely crazy. So that's like almost all of the plastic would be removed by 2040 if they scaled the systems. Um, of course, we don't know if this is going to reach these, reach these projected um, limits, but um, it does seem promising. And they're also um, talking about what they're going to do with the plastic they do collect. Um, they've talked about... Um, you know, selling it kind of like um, what Yifan was discussing, selling it, market, mar making a market out of it, making a resource out of it. Um, and so that's really promising. So Yeah, that was going to be my question was, given the size and the amount of the, of the trash and of the plastic, what would they do with all of that, which seems like its own problem given just how the sheer amount of it. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think they have that nailed down just because um, it just has passed its testing phase, but they've definitely discussed it. And I think that um, the research has continued to progress in that way. And I think there are currently several companies um, that would be interested in purchasing those plastics. Uh, I know, for instance, Adidas has vowed by 2022 that all of the plastics they use in production will be recycled plastics. And a lot of them they're trying to get from ocean plastics. Uh, so there are several companies starting to start that movement of vowing to only use already recycled plastics. Um, in your report, you also highlighted at least one other effort here, uh, the five gyres. So tell me a little bit about uh, how what uh, what's going on with the five gyres nonprofit organization compared to what the ocean cleanup is doing. Yeah, so we picked um, just two um nonprofit organizations that do have contra um, contrasting, I guess, like approaches in a cleaning up the garbage patch. But um, the first one is actually removing what is already there. And then the Five Gyres nonprofit organization focuses a little more on um, raising awareness about what is happening and also um, educating the public on just like the, da the potential dangers that plastic use has. Um, they've done a lot of research over the toxicity of certain plastics that are um, in wild, wide use, like plastic items. Um, and they, for instance, they um, there's a certain plastic called polystyrene products, and it, it's in a lot of um, to-go coffee cups. Um, and they have a pledge that 6,272 people have taken to refuse um, any single-use um, type of this specific um, product and they do that because their research um, showed that it's a carcinogen to animals which would mean if it does get into the ocean it you know it could cause cancer in these um, this, the wildlife but it's also said that um, with a little more research it could possibly 
um, prove that it's also a carcinogen to humans, which is kind of crazy that <laughs> it could possibly cause cancer and it's super widely used. And so basically it's just kind of raising awareness that, um, of like, what are we putting into our bodies? What are we using on the daily? Because, um, it isn't really regulated and it isn't really talked about. And so they also have just a ton of educational resources about recycling, about, um, just um, uh, businesses that are plastic free and that use recycling efforts. So if you're interested in supporting those businesses, they have really good collaborative resources on providing those as well. And so it is different from the ocean cleanup, but um, it's just another example of how nonprofits are pretty much leading the way um, in many ways, at least um, with raising awareness, with cleaning up the stuff and just you know moving forward. So, so far it sounds like there are efforts by at least a few countries to limit the amount of plastic or the amount of waste that they uh, that they create, and then there are these nonprofit organizations, uh, the Ocean Cleanup, which is uh, creating these kind of floating barge things that use the um, currents of the ocean to essentially kind of use nets and I mean, not exactly nets, but to kind of sweep up the trash essentially. And then there is, uh, the, the five gyres who's trying to raise awareness. So what other things did your group come up with that would, you know, continue this trend of, um, devoting more attention and resources to this? What other tools are in our toolkit for, uh, improving this? Well, one of the things that we were looking at is uh, just some alternative uh, material to essentially replace plastic. Um, now, one of the things is that that a lot of the a lot of a lot of what we're trying to go for is eliminating single-use plastics, and one of those things is that's be kind of become really like recently in the spotlight is uh, straws. Uh, they're a single-use plastic. You know, you use it and then you throw it away, and it's they 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 make up a huge part of uh, plastic pollution, and uh, just looking at straws, you know, people have been using straws since the since the eighteen hundreds, um, but it's like transition. You know, originally it was like a rye made of rye and grain stalks that people used. It then it went to like a uh, people used paper uh, paper straws, and then you get around the mid nineteen hundreds, which is where plastic straws were kind of sort of became came introduced. And that, that they became really, really popular, and they kind of stayed with uh, with our society. And now they're used. I mean, you literally like. I mean, you go to a restaurant, somebody throw a straw on the table. You may not even use it. They'll probably still throw it away and stuff. And it's just a. It's something that is kind of. It, it, to eliminate single-use plastic straws would be a big uh, a big push in that direction as far as single-use plastic elimination. Yeah, one of the and things that that struck me in your report is the, just the sheer amount of straws that Americans use. I think the quote from the national park service was, uh, Americans use 500 million drinking straws every day, which means every two days, if my math is correct, that's a billion straws, which is just an impressive amount of straws. It's Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's one like simple thing that we can just work to try and reduce or mitigate. And, you know, there are alternatives out there. You can go back to using paper straws. You know, there are a lot of companies out there that, you know, have like kind of straws made again from grain or things like that. And so, or you can just go straw free, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that there's been a, 
nonprofits and other uh, different movements to try and kind of push things away. I know, uh, I think it was Seattle's uh, Washington got rid of uh, um, their government, got rid of uh, uh, eliminated straws from their society, uh, single pla uh, use plastic straws. Um, another thing is, you know, plastic packaging. You know, we don't really, we order something from Amazon or, you know, whatever. It's, plastic packaging is really beneficial economically because, you know, it lightens, you know, it protects your stuff. It also, uh, it also lightens the load. So you're spending less on gas trying to, you know, transport stuff. Um, but it makes up a huge part of, uh, I think it's, uh, plastic packaging represents 26% of total volume of plastics used. And, only 14% of plastic packaging is collected for recycling. You know, it's huge. It's a mm -hmm. huge number. And so, um, essentially, uh, the food, if you were to, let's see, more efficient packaging designs in the food, soft drinks, and ice industries can save an estimated $7.3 billion in environmental costs and use 30% less plastic. Um, and that's just coming up with better, more efficient designs. Um, you could save 30% in that. Um, which, you know, like I said, it counts for plastic packaging accounts for 26% of the total plastics. So that's a huge number. So um, just kind of coming up with more innovative ideas and uh, and finding alternatives is a uh, is a big is a big part of a lot of that. One of the uh, things here that uh, you kind of end with is a global initiative, which sort of piggybacks on what I was mentioning earlier about how this is uh, we need likely need global coordination on these issues, which is in part why NGOs and nonprofits are taking the lead because again, any one country's incentives to, to deal with this um, are weak because other countries are doing the same thing. So what, uh, what type of global initiatives did you imagine or consider or think about as one of your uh, final attempts to think about dealing with this? Yeah, so um, actually, fortunately, uh, the United States just signed the Save Our Seas Act, uh, which will be working to reduce debris from the U.S., clean up existing debris, and then the last part of that is working with other nations uh, to do both of these things. Um, so the U.S. is already starting to work with other countries and try and get to an agreement to figure out how to tackle this problem. So part of that is just working with other delegates from countries and coming to a consensus on kind of where we're at with the issue of what can we do to reduce plastics that we're using. Um, so like the situations that we have recommended here, um, working with other countries to also rec use those uh, recommendations. And then also as a cleanup effort, um, as impressive as the ocean cleanups plan has been with their uh, floating devices, uh, one country or one nonprofit Probably can't clean up the entire world's um, <laughs> probably not issue by themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need multiple countries, especially. It's. I feel like it's easy to convince coastal countries that directly see the issue um, to help partake in like a cleanup effort. Yeah, and and one of the things too that uh, I don't think we hit on, but it is also a big piece of this is um, a lot of countries are growing economically, right? And so uh, developing countries are going to have some pretty strong incentives to keep products cheap as their economies coming along. So you could imagine that while some of these uh, more developed countries are looking at recycling uh, options, 
you could imagine that the growth in a lot of developing countries is going to spur a lot more use of plastics, at least in the short term. And so I think even though it's great that there are some efforts um, to clean up what's already there, I mean, I think the quote was 90% of what's there by 2040. I didn't see the details of it, but it's also hard for me to know how much more plastics are going to uh, be put into the ocean and cause these patches to even grow further than they are now. I mean, the size of this one being twice the size of Texas is really just mind-boggling um, for me to, to think through, given the size of Texas. Yeah, twice the size of Texas and reported to be growing at an exponential rate. Yeah, it's actually, um, I have a stat right here, and there's an estimated 1.5 to 2.41 million tons of additional plastic entering the oceans every year through the world's rivers. So that's in between 1 and 2 million tons of additional plastic every year. Goodness. All right, well, um, are there other things that we haven't covered yet? that would be useful for listeners to know or anyone that's interested in this topic that hasn't come up already? Yeah, absolutely. I think we did a really good job of covering this um, plastic production and coming from the land and like pollution that way. Uh, a large part of this plastic also, though, is uh, fishing materials. Mm. Uh, so you see a lot of abandoned nets that are out and uh, just stay there. Uh, so there was a study in Japan in the 80s that, um, let's see, they, they found over 500 uh, fur sea, uh, seals were trapped in entangled nets and died in a year just off the coast of Japan. Um, so possibly also looking into regulations on fishing industries and what they're doing, having uh, holding them accountable for the amount of nets that they're putting in the water, making sure they all come back out of the water. So not just plastics, but also commercial fishing uh, nets play a, a sizable role in this as well. Anything else that would be useful for the listeners to know? Yeah, um, there's an estimated 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic in the ocean. And um, it really puts it into perspective because the study breaks it down to say that there's about 250 pieces of plastic in the ocean for every human being in the world. Which is just really cool because I feel like that makes it personal. You can just say like, okay, well, I'm going to at least take responsibility for that 250 pieces in the ocean, if not more. And so, um, yeah, just like we can't, we all have to take responsibility if we want this to be resolved. Excellent. All right. One of the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, one of the things that quotes I found in one of our articles that we were looking at uh, was uh, the guy said, thinking globally and acting locally. Um, I thought that was a really good um, point that he made. Um, and one of the things that kind of overarching ideas from this uh, report is, you know, we're not out there to necessarily demonize plastic. I mean, plastic offers a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pros that come along with plastic as well. But the fact is that modern day society, we just overuse it. And it's the overconsumption of plastic. And even more so, it's the mismanagement of that plastic. And so, um, you know, and there's no single there's no single solution to fixing this problem. It's you know it has to be coupled with other solutions as well in order to really effectively make an, make a huge impact. Uh, kind of like uh, we were saying, you know, just having one nonprofit, you know, doing that it's not really gonna uh, really answer the question. And one of the biggest uh, things that has to be done first, you know, is not so much the cleanup but answering the the recycling portion of it. 
because you can clean up as much as much as you want, but if you still have more coming in than you have taking out, you know, it's uh, it's not doing any good. So it's creating a more a better circulatory recycling system, like you know, kind of like how we were talking about, like Taiwan, like maybe perhaps privatizing it and maybe creating uh, incentives to where it can actually be a money making business and people can actually take advantage of that and utilize uh, those things um, really, really well. Um, so yeah, um, I, I, we would say that it's just uh, providing more education on recycling and plastic pollution, creating a more prominent and efficient recycling program, offsetting the amount of plastic used with alternative materials, and eliminating uh, or mitigating the use of single-use plastics are all methods that will help to uh, solve this problem. Yeah, I think that's an, uh, an important point that we talked about a lot in class and in other uh, conversations about these public problems. It's very rarely, although some cases, but very rarely is there a silver, silver bullet, as they say, that solves all of this. It really takes a concerted effort across a number of dimensions. Um, if it was just one thing, often you can imagine these problems might be solved. But part of what holds these problems in place or continues to make them such an issue is there's multiple factors that are that are kind of breakdowns in the ecosystem of plastic um, and trash that are kind of causing us to be where we are. So I think it's I think it is important to note that uh, you know regulating or taxing or dealing with plastic different is a big piece of this. But it's not the only piece, and a lot of it, as you highlight in the cases of what's already being done, really has to do with building better systems for dealing with how we use our material resources within our societies, for sure. Excellent. Anything else that I'm missing or that we haven't covered? No, I think that's all. All right. Well, thank you so much for your work here. Thanks for this conversation. I think this is this is also one that I knew very little about um, before your group uh for your group did the work on this so thank you for sharing your uh information with me and thanks for sharing it with the listeners and uh i don't suppose i'll be seeing you in class again but it was wonderful having you all in class as well so thanks for all your work 